Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yeah, they used to say it's all smoke and no fire. No longer. Flames are burning around the feet of Donald Trump Jr. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Wednesday, Wednesday, July 12. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us right here in the middle of the week with lots going on. Washington uh, really on fire over the latest. Uh, the emails now that we see. Donald Trump Jr. himself releasing them yesterday and what he was hoping would be a preemptive strike against the New York Times, but it blew up in his face when the emails show that he not only knew what uh, was all about, what this meeting with the Russian attorney was all about, but he was looking forward to it, colluding with the enemy to get information on Hillary Clinton to help his daddy. Yeah, it's hard to top that news. We will look at it from every angle and what it means and what kind of legal jeopardy Donald Trump Jr. might actually be in. Uh, Also, Mitch McConnell yesterday saying, we love Washington so much. We love the swamp so much. We love the heat, humidity, and the mosquitoes and the chicadas that we are going to stay around an extra two weeks. We'll be here the first uh, two weeks of August. In August. Did you pronounce cicadas as chicadas? Did I say that? Yeah. Is that what, is is that, that what they are? Is that, a, is that what you just did? I was going to be getting dinner at Chipotle tonight. Oh. <laughs> uh, what are they? Chica- cicadas. Cicadas. Right? Okay. We have them in the backyard, like up to the up to our knees. Okay. Chicadas? I typically chicadas. put jalapenos on my <laughs> Chipotle <burrito>. All right. <laughs> Both of you are fired. Uh, <laughs> Cicadas and more right here on the Bill Press Show. But first, <laughs> this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. A little bit of an update to a story we did last week about the History Channel that found a photo that said that they mm-hmm. might have found mm-hmm. Amelia Earhart that after she had survived her crash landing and was taken prisoner in Japan. Well, Fake news, fake news, fake, fake news. news. Fake news, fake news. A history blogger, military history blogger, Kota Yamano, 
took a look to see. He said, well, let's see. After they showed that photo, surely there must be a record of that photo somewhere. And so he scoured a uh, the Japanese National Archives, and he found the photo. It was in a book that was published in 1935, yeah. two years before Amelia Earhart's plane took off. Oh, no, off. really? So yeah. it is not. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Cannot be. I told Amelia you. Earhart. I smelled a rat. You did. Yeah. History majors everywhere are saying, I told you so. It's true. This degree would come in use one day. There it is. There it is. A new uh, lawsuit against Donald Trump, this time coming from Columbia University, the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University. Now, Donald Trump on Twitter has a habit of blocking people who have criticized him or mocked him or disagreed with him. There are, I'd say, probably (laughs) hundreds of people online who have been blocked by the president of the United States. And so they are now suing him because they say that it's... Uh, violates the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. The President of the United States should not be blocking American citizens. And so that is sort of the crux of their their lawsuit. No word on... Sounds good to me. Yeah, I mean, they haven't really talked to... uh, (laughs) The stories I've read, they haven't talked to a lot of legal advisors who say they have much of a case here, but it's sort of a symbolic thing that if you're going to block citizens from America, it's kind of hard to lead America. No, I like that. And I, I isn't that Twitter's job, sort of to? Well, I guess yeah, everybody can block people. Yeah, right? it's. Okay. I mean, it's yeah. it's tricky. I mean, you should have the ability to block people. It just sort of gets tricky when you're, you know, president of the United States. I guess so. Uh, well, <laughs> it gets kind of tricky when you're president of the United States and you're tweeting. And your public statements, all of your public policy yeah. statements, come on Twitter twenty-five yeah. times a day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. What do you say, everybody? Yes, indeed. I would have done things differently now, says Donnie Jr. last night to Sean Hannity. A little late for that, Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump Jr., you are in deep doo-doo over the meeting at Trump Tower and the emails that came out yesterday. Hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Wednesday, July 12th. So good to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. And here we go with our round robin of the uh, new day's uh, news of the day. Whether it's happening here in Washington, D.C., around the country, around the globe, we'll bring it to you from our perch on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building, where I was uh, yesterday evening for a meeting with some songwriters from Nashville uh, and uh, Congressman Adam Schiff from West Hollywood, from California. Uh, best known, actually, of course, for his role as a ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, but also very well known in the entertainment community as a strong proponent of uh, uh, intellectual rights and intellectual property uh, for songwriters both in Los Angeles and around the country and in Nashville, based, based, based mainly in those two parts. At any rate, we're here in Washington, D.C., but we're with you everywhere in this great land of ours, all part of the Young Turks Network on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Free Speech TV, hello out there in TV land. And 
Radio Land WCPT out in Chicago. Hello, 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 and welcome to the program. Two big stories today. Uh, Health care in such bad shape that Mitch McConnell is going to keep the senators around for another two weeks in August. By the way, anybody who thinks that forcing people to stay here in the swamp of Washington in August when it is routinely over 100 degrees uh, with the mosquitoes and the humidity of 100 plus, anybody who thinks that makes people more inclined to get something done and get work done during that period Hmm. is crazy. That's the craziest thing that Mitch McConnell could do, but he is getting desperate. It's one big story. The other big story of a day, of course, is yet one more petticoat falls from Donald Trump Jr. or whatever. You know, this is the dance of the seven veils. Uh, And every day, it seems, it's drip, 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 drip. Since last Saturday, when the New York Times first reported that Donald Trump Jr. had had this meeting at Trump Tower with a Russian operative last June. It's been a pattern every single day of denial and then admitting. Denial, admitting. Denial, admitting. And the latest, of course, is yesterday when the entire chain of emails was released. Now, first of all, and, you know, I we never do this around here. But I decided today that we're going to start because we're now talking about collusion. All right. Let's go to the dictionary. What is the definition of collusion? All right. I looked it up again this morning. Here it is. Collusion. Secret or illegal cooperation or conspiracy, especially in order to cheat or deceive others. Let's just remember that definition okay God, that's a pretty low bar honestly yeah yeah you know it is. for, for but, what we've seen from them so again secret or illegal cooperation or conspiracy especially in order to cheat or deceive others you know there are other definitions but they're all roughly the same okay now having said that let's read from the new york times front page and by the way you will find these on the front page of the washington post as well today as well as on the front page of most newspapers in the country, right? And this is the chain of emails released by Donald Trump. Okay, hey, guys, this is not fake news. Mr. President, this is not fake news. This may be in the New York Times. It comes from your son. His emails, he released them on his Twitter account. You can't accuse your son of fake news, or can you? Okay, so having said that, Let's just read a couple of emails. The first one comes to um, Mr. Trump Jr. from this publicist, Rob Goldstone, who's a Brit who represents this rock star in Russia. Uh, Eamon. Good morning. Eamon. This is an email sent to Donald Trump on June 3rd, 2016. Rob Goldstone. Good morning. Eamon just called and asked me to to contact you with something very interesting. The Crown Prosecutor of Russia met with his father, Aras, this morning, and in their meeting offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father. Continues. Listen to this one very carefully. 
This is obviously very high level and sensitive information, but is part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump, helped along by Aris and Eamon. How can we get this information to your father? He wants to know. Donald Jr. responds the same day. In fact, he responded exactly 17 minutes later on June 3rd. Here he goes. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. I am on the road at the moment, but perhaps I just speak to Eamon first. Seems we seems we have some time. And, here's the key part, and if it's what you say, I love it. Especially later in the summer. So, what do we got? Let's go back to that definition, right? You've got a Russian, a, a, this middleman says, the Russian government has an effort to undermine the election and help your daddy. And we got some information for you. Do you want to play? And Donald Trump says, yes, I want to play. I love it. it hello? <laughs> right? How? You hear that? There it is. Mm. Oh, man. How much more clear could you get? Right? Foreign government, adversary of the United States, has an operation to undermine the election, to help Donald Trump. We got some information we think we can help. Are you interested? And Donald Trump says, yes, I love it. I don't think, I mean, you know what? The luckiest guy on the planet today is Robert Mueller. Here he is setting up a whole investigation to look for the smoking gun on whether or not there was any collusion between the Trump campaign, anybody around the Trump campaign, and the Russian government in trying to influence the outcome of this election. <laughs> he's been, he's set, setting up this whole operation to find a smoking gun. Donald Trump Jr. just handed him the smoking gun yesterday. Here it is. Now, uh, we're not a court of law right here, right? We cannot say definitively that this is collusion. But if we thought just the fact of having this meeting was collusion, these emails, I think, absolutely, absolutely nail it down. This, so, is, this is, I think, really a, 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 a funny tweet and, about this. This guy, Jared Yates Sexton, who has written in a couple, has written in New York Times, New Republic, Politico, uh -huh. he wrote a tweet uh, yesterday that said, essentially, uh, you know, they've been looking for this. They've followed leads down numerous different rabbit holes. They've tried to find this smoking gun. He says, quote, I tracked down sources, followed dead leads, labored over this, and then, you know, Donald Trump Jr. just tweeted out the proof. Like, this is what people have been looking for. Right, yeah. And if you don't think that that's the case, I mean, the headline of the email, the subject line of the email, it, like, contains the words, from Russia, right? So... It, Whatever kind of ignorance no. they want to play about the whole issue is dead. It's right. totally gone. And again, so this this is the White House that, well, that they thought, right, uh, coming home from Europe and this triumphant G20, which was actually a disaster, that they had finally, finally put this – and the meeting with Putin, right, where, uh, uh, again, uh, the president says, okay, oh, hey, Vlad, did you do this, like some people say? And Vlad says, no, nah, you know I would never do that. And Trump says, all right, that's it, that's it. We raise the issue. It's behind us. Let's move on. 
We're going to move on. That's what he said. Move on. A new reset with Russia. It's all behind us now. Uh Uh-uh. He came home on Saturday. And on the way home, Peter Baker in the reports on the New York Times this morning, on the way home on Saturday on Air Force One, the president and his advisors were crafting a statement for Donald Trump Jr. to release over this New York Times story. And ever since then, it's been one day after another, something new, and each day a denial. So the first day was denied that there was ever any meeting with anybody around the campaign and anybody from Russia. Uh, and then New York Times reports, this one, there have been other meetings, this big meeting with Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort, and a Russian attorney. So then the White House had to say, okay, yes, we did have the meeting, but all we talked about was uh, adoption procedures, how we can get back to Americans being able to adopt little Russian babies. Uh, later in the day, the White House had to say, uh, that's not really right either. Yeah, we did talk about some opposition research on Hillary. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, but we didn't know that was coming. We didn't know anything about it. Uh, then the New York Times reports, uh, actually, they did know uh, about it ahead of time, uh, that they were told ahead of time what the meeting was all about, and they still went ahead for the meeting. And then the White House had to say, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, we did know, but we weren't, we just, we didn't, whatever, you know, we, we were just being polite, I guess. And then the New York Times comes out and says, uh, <clears throat> now we have the emails that said you not only knew what the subject matter was, but you knew this was part of a Russian government attempt to out- influence the outcome of the election. She was part of a Kremlin-based operation, and Donald Trump knew that ahead of time. And the White House, in this case, they put out the email, Donald Trump Jr., put out the emails himself even before the New York Times could do it, to try to say, ah, yep, you got me, guilty, here it is. But he still says it's a nothing. He goes on Sean Hannity last night. Uh, you know, if I were his attorney, I would say, hey, dude. Shut shut up. up. Shut up. Shut up. You don't have to do this. No. Instead, he goes on Sean Hannity last night because, again, all they're concerned about is their base, just trying to keep their base happy. And he says... He doesn't even call it a nothing burger. No, nothing, not, just, just, a, just a great big fat nothing. Did, do you tell your father anything about this? No. Uh, it was such a nothing, there was nothing to tell. I mean, I wouldn't have even remembered it until you start scouring through the stuff. It was, it was literally just a wasted 20 minutes, which was a shame. Uh, yeah. That's not uh, the point. No, 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 no. Uh, he went in there. You're so dumb. He went in there salivating, thinking he was going to get whatever it was that would bring Hillary Clinton down. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. did have to admit last night. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, thinking about it again, maybe, uh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. In retrospect, <coughs> I probably would have done things a little differently. Honestly, my takeaway when all of this was going on is that someone has information on our opponent. You know, things are going a million miles an hour. You know what it's like to be on a campaign. I've been reading about scandals that people were probably underreporting for a long time. So maybe it was something that had to do with one of those things. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done that. So the question is, uh, really, we're getting closer, is, is um, what, what did his father know about this? Or the famous question, what did the president know and when did he know it? Again, uh, I find it impossible to believe knowing the way that family operates and what we've seen about how close the two sons pardon me, are to their father in politics and in business. They're a real team, and they do everything together. I find it impossible to believe that Donald Trump Jr. did not tell his father ahead of time, hey, I got something hot, man. 
they're coming here for this, for this this Russian attorney's flying here all the way from Moscow for this meeting to bring some hot stuff on Hillary because you know Donald Trump was out there every day saying we're going to expose Hillary on this she did all this stuff illegal they thought the Russians were going to deliver this I'm sure he told his father ahead of time and I'm sure he told his father as soon as she walked out of there exactly what she said or didn't say we don't know that yet but we do know what Donald Trump's reaction to this latest flap is, because he's been twittering all morning. Well, but so on that point, Tweeting. right? I, I I think you're right. I think Donald Trump probably did know, and I have a feeling that he probably did tell his dad. But let's just say that he didn't, right? Because that is yeah. that is the well, big issue right now. Jay Sekulow is out there saying, you know, Donald Trump had no idea that this meeting took place. He didn't know anything about it until yesterday. But if their argument is that this meeting was all fine and there's nothing wrong with it, then who cares if Trump knew about it or not, And if we're using their logic, right? So they sort of backed themselves into a corner. Right. Now, I'll tell you who should care about it, Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort, who were at the meeting. Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort, who were also on the email chain. So if there's collusion, it's not just Donald Trump Jr., Again, uh, so Donald Trump, daddy, is on the, on, on the job this morning here defending his son. Quote, he says, My, this was a fifth, <laughs> just about an hour ago, which will make it 620 uh, uh, East Coast time. My son Donald did a good job last night. He was open, transparent, and innocent. This is the greatest witch hunt in political history. Sad. Um, by the way, Mr. President, this is the greatest witch hunt in political history. Your Justice Department is conducting this investigation. This is, I, I love pointing that out because <laughs> this is, the Democrats are not doing this. This is his Justice Department. He also says here in his tweet this morning about his son, uh, quoting Jesse B. Waters on uh, Fox News, Donald Trump Jr. meeting with Russian attorney. I believe Don Jr. is the victim here. Um, Donald Trump retweets that this morning. And yesterday, uh, he um, spoke to this indirectly, giving a statement for Sarah Sand- Sanders, Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, to read uh, at the briefing yesterday. My son is a high-quality high person, and I applaud his transparency. Oh, yeah, a high-quality person. <laughs> Recall his transparency. Uh, let's talk about the transparency of the Trump administration. Thanks to NBC News, uh, as I pointed out a little bit earlier, the denials around this little latest, this latest meeting, right, have been uh, just kind of stunning every day. Denial and then admission, denial, admission, denial, admission. But this has been going on for over a year. Uh, NBC going back. Remember, at first their their claim was there was. Zero contact, zero contact between anybody around Donald Trump and any Russian official. Now we know at least, in fact, you know, I think it was CNN this morning uh, has like a spider's web of all the people around Donald Trump that we know had connections during this time with the Russians. And some of them off the top of my head, of course, include Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner, Jeff Sessions, Michael Flynn, Carter Page, Donald Trump Jr. How many more do you need, right? But, I mean, clearly. So uh, NBC put together a little montage of all of these various people uh, and all the denials that we've heard over the Trump people 
uh, over the last year, ending with one from Corey Lewandowski, former campaign manager, uh, just a week or so ago. Are there any ties between Mr. Trump, you or your campaign, and Putin and his regime? No, there are not. It's absurd. It's disgusting. It's so phony. I mean, I can't think of bigger lies. Did anyone involved in the Trump campaign have any contact with Russians trying to meddle with the election? Absolutely not. And I discussed that with the president-elect just last night. Those conversations never happened. I have never nothing happened. to do with Russia. To the best of my t knowledge, no person that I deal with does. No and collusion so, whatsoever to see anybody right. involved with Let's, Trump and anybody involved with Russia in the 2016 campaign. Uh, no. There was no collusion. There was no coordination. So now I think the issue is officially dead. That was Carl Lewandowski. The fish that that just about a week ago. The issue is officially dead. Oh, guess what? No. The issue is officially dead. Ah, uh, oh yeah. You wish. Reaction yesterday was uh, was interesting on many fronts. Uh, I gave you Donald Trump's reaction uh, among Democrats, ranking Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Intelligence Committee, uh, Mark Warner, who said yesterday if his son were involved in his campaign and a foreign government called. You're damn right. His son would tell his father. Uh, Mark Warner is saying this looks like collusion to me. It was in black and white that it was part of a Russian government effort to help Trump discredit Clinton. And he says we have uh, maybe we're starting to connect the dots here. You see this pattern. Uh, there's been a lot of dots, and I think we're starting to see those dots start to get connected. And of course, that's the job of the committee to connect those dots. Adam Schiff, ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, says, now uh, we're going to have to go back and look at every one of those denials and find out what really happened. All of the campaign denials of whether we know this is going on or whether the Russians had any involvement, whether the Russians wanted to help his campaign, um, obviously now have to be viewed in a completely different uh, context. And Tim Kaine, a former vice presidential candidate, senator from Virginia, uh, he takes it uh, farther than most people were willing to go and most uh, legal scholars are willing to go. Uh, he even invokes the T word. This is moving into perjury, false statements, uh, and even into potentially treason. Potentially treason. Most legal experts say not that wouldn't go, wouldn't go that far. But clearly there is um, uh, a, there, there, it is against the law to accept accept help, campaign help, from any foreign government. Uh, and again, it's hard to see, that's not, it's hard to, hard to argue that's not, that, that, that the Trump campaign did not do that or that's not what this represents. Just like if you look again at the definition of uh, collusion, uh, I, I think it's impossible to argue that this was not collusion. Meanwhile, on the Republican side, of course, they're still living in denial. The age-old question now of what is it going to take to shake these Republicans loose from their blind allegiance to Donald Trump, a guy that most of them did not support in the primaries, and a lot of them, well, some of them, said they didn't even vote for him, right, Donald Trump, and yet they're not happy with this. They're frustrated. It's taken up so much time. It's making it impossible for them to get their agenda passed. It's not good for the country, and yet they still remain blindly loyal to Donald Trump, including Ted, 
Ted Ted Cruz, rather, Ted Cruz yesterday saying, yeah, nobody in Texas gives a rat's ass. Washington is obsessed right now. It, it is the Democratic talking point du jour. But when I go back to Texas, nobody asks about Russia. Yeah, that's all. This is just something. Maybe the people in Texas are dummies that should pay attention to the news more. Yeah. First of all, he undersells the people of Texas, although I think the majority, he may be right, the majority of people in Texas uh, don't care. Uh, but they're trying to dismiss it. I, you know, when you've got a special counsel conducting an investigation, when you have a Senate Intelligence Committee conducting an investigation, when you have a House Intelligence Committee conducting an investigation, and when you have the president's son releasing emails that document a meeting to discuss efforts on the part of the Russian government and getting their help and helping them and getting their help in directing, influencing the outcome of the 2016 election, you can't really dismiss that as a Democratic talking point. No. It's not just something the media is obsessed with, although Ted Cruz go on to, goes on to say again, standard Republican Trump White House talking about. Uh, th- th- this is just something the media cares about. The Washington media obsession with Russia, I think, is completely disconnected with where the American people are. Uh, oh, yeah? By yeah, it's interesting. That's what they said about Watergate, too. Sure. My favorite part of all of this is that yesterday, Mike Pence. Oh, Mike Pence. We haven't heard from him for a while, he have we? Very quick. I, like, Ted Cruz talks about how nobody cares about this. Mike yeah. Pence cares about this. Mike Pence put out a statement yesterday, which is kind of unprecedented. I mean, it's not something that you see the vice president do, but he, he very quickly put out a statement that was like, uh, I had nothing to do with this. This happened before my time. He put out a statement that said the vice president is working hard every day to advance the president's agenda. He was not aware of the meeting. He is also not focused on stories about the campaign, especially those pertaining to the time before he joined the campaign, as if to say, like, I wasn't there. Guys, don't look at me. I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Mike Pence is establishing his distance from Donald Trump. And we mentioned uh, earlier in the week how Mike Pence has been having these meetings with high donors at the vice president's house, not at the White House, dinners at the vice president's house to line them up behind him because I think Mike Pence knows it's soon going to be over for Donald Trump and he's going to have to be prepared to take over. But I'll tell you what my favorite point of this, my favorite part of this whole story is that these are emails we're talking about. It is so delicious. It is so juicy that Donald Trump, who ran for a whole year complaining about Hillary Clinton's emails and making that the big issue, that Donald Trump is now hanging on the on the whole issue of his son's emails. You know, what goes around, there's so many ways to say that. What goes around comes around, baby. You live by the emails, you die by the emails. I mean, when I see this and the fact that now it's Donald Trump who is being brought down by emails, you know, I get down on my knees and say, yes, there is a God. This is just the perfect ending to this whole crazy political cycle. So here's an interesting little tidbit. Because if emails counted for Hillary, sure, they count for Donald Trump, baby. Here's a very, very interesting little tidbit that uh, Philip Bump from the Washington Post pointed out. So on a spe- in a speech on June 7th, 2016 is when Trump gave a speech that promised to discuss, quote, 
all of the things that have taken place with the Clintons. He said he yeah. was going to have a major speech yes. to talk about all of the things that they found out about Hillary Clinton, right. saying that he had some stuff, that we're going to talk about it, we're going to have a major speech on Monday, we're going to discuss all the things that have taken place. Quote, you're going to find it very informative, very interesting. Who knows? That speech came four days, four days after this email transition transaction uh, took place between uh, Goldstone whoa, whoa, whoa. and Donald but, Trump Jr. But, but, but it came one day after the meeting. After the meeting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. One day yeah. after the meeting. Yeah. So, like, so, so, again, we want to believe that Donald Jr. did not talk to the father. Yeah. What, the fa- what Donald Trump says right there is, you talk about connecting the dots. Yeah. Right? Where does this juicy, what he thinks is going to be juicy information come from? It came from that conversation. It came from the promise, at least, that was made at the meeting the day before. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Tie it all together. Uh, well, wh- by the way, I want to hear from you what, what you think all this means and how far you think it goes and what kind of legal jeopardy that Donald Trump Jr. and whole and and Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort and Donald Trump president could be in because of this. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show on Twitter at BP Show. Alan Pike joins us, Deputy Economic Policy Editor. Think Progress will get his take on this and more coming up on this Wednesday edition of the Bill Press Show. So now I think the issue is officially dead. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. About it, Wednesday, July 12, the Bill Press Show, Washington, D.C. That's where we start out in our studio on Capitol Hill, joining you wherever you are in this great land of ours and brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees. You hear me talk about, uh, hear us talk about the good men and women who staff our government agencies and keep them running day in and day out. They're people who wake uh, wake up every day, proud to get out and work for America every day. We salute their good work, thank them, and thank them for the support of the program as well. Go to the website at afge.org. Well, they are dropping, not, I wouldn't say dropping by the wayside, but uh, even a little bit of crack, a little crack, in the Republican dam, perhaps, because of the, the latest uh, Donald Trump Jr. and Donald Trump Sr. <laughs> uh, problems, uh, particularly on the Russian deal. To talk about that, Alan Pike joins us from uh, Think Progress, Deputy Economic Editor, our good friend. Hello, Alan. Good to see good you. Good morning, Bill. So last night we had a Republican officially drop the R from his name in front of a national audience on Stephen Colbert last night, former Republican congressman. Joe Scarborough, Morning Joe. You have to ask yourself, what exactly is the Republican Party willing to do? How far are they willing to go? How much of this country and our values are they willing to sell out? But aren't you a Republican? Um, I am a Republican, but I'm not going to be a Republican anymore. I've got to become an independent. There it is. 
What do you think? I think that's entirely bogus. I agree. (laughs) Totally agree. If you're you're at all confused about what the unifying principles of the Republican Party are just because they can't get their act together to say no to Donald Trump, you just haven't been paying attention to anything but Donald Trump for the last year and a half. There's There's a very clear reason why this party is still so unwilling to flat out say, all right, yeah. Let's let's I mean, they're saying let's get to the bottom of this, but they're saying that in the context of so that this administration can flourish again. They're they're annoyed that all of this is getting in the way of an agenda that's been very clear for decades for the Republican Party. This is an organization built around the, I think, sincere belief that the world will be better if we're nicer to rich people and a little bit less nice to poor people. And the the unity that has persisted through the Republican bloc throughout all of this, through through more than six months of drip, 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 drip on the Russia stuff uh, is entirely about knowing that they have this generational opportunity to tear down the the social safety net, to slash Medicaid uh, by billions, if not trillions of dollars, to redistribute eight hundred billion dollars at a fell swoop upward from the poorest people in the country to the richest. Uh, to uh, reinstate old, outmoded ideas about criminal justice uh, through the Justice Department, old, uh, archaic ideas about the relationship between an employer and a worker through the Department of Labor. They have immense control over the most powerful institutions of our government. Those institutions are uh, only so capable of protecting the status quo from the kind of radical upheaval that the current GOP agenda represents for somebody like Scarborough who's been out of the game uh, on the elected side for for close to 20 years now yeah. to pretend like any of this is confusing or like the Republican Party lacks an identity um, when it's 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 a it's it's a very coherent puppy that continues to lay on its back hoping for a tummy rub from a guy who keeps <laughs> kicking it uh, and, and and that and, th- and that's silly and that's yeah. and that's worthy of our derision I think um, and and it's not something that is going to turn on many of the uh, quote-unquote independent voters of whom Scarborough now wants to count himself publicly. Um, but but I, I think it's I think it's fundamentally bogus. Yeah. But if this is what if this is what it takes for you to leave the Republican Party, congrats. Like that that is awfully awfully low, uh, a low bar to get over. But it it does sort of beg the question. Okay, whatever Joe Scarborough does really it, it doesn't matter, right? Right. Yeah, don't tell him that. But yeah, <laughs> seriously, no, I it's mean, true. It's absolutely true. But but so the question remains: Why are these Republicans in Congress clinging so much to Donald Trump? But I think you touched on it, right? Because yeah. with all of his faults, with all of his problems, yeah. whatever he's got, he's the president of the United States. Right. He has the pen. They are the party of power. Right. They are the party of power. So he, if they can get something to him, he'll sign it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So he is the key to getting this agenda, as you say, more tax cuts for the rich, right. more power to big corporations, I mean, right. all across the board, right. undoing everything Obama has done. He's the key to doing that. And if they get rid of him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the question is, though, might, might Mike Pence be even uh, a more trustworthy ally for sure. them than yeah. Donald Trump? Yeah, well, and, and I suspect he that sort of has his stuff together more though. So he does, he yeah. does, and and I I don't think he's got. Yeah, that's that's the interesting question, I guess, is is at what point does that scale tip for well, enough powerful Republicans in the Senate? But uh, yeah, if, if enough of them just to say, all right, come on, you know, just give us Mike yeah. Pence. But but, but again, I, I think I think that 
I think that Republicans, especially <laughs> senior Republicans in the party who've been there a long time, longer than the sort of Tea Party wave people who are still kind of getting their feet wet, yeah. um, even six, seven years later, um, the, 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 there's an understanding that um, the majorities they hold currently, they owe in significant part to a commitment to blustering through any sort of uh, what, what any logical person would, would think of as serious scandal. Um, and that uh, they, they also understand that while Trump's base of support is far from being a majority of the electorate, it is a large enough block of the electorate. It's close enough to a third of the country of the voting of the voting public in the country um, to be a, a really essential piece of their current power. And so I, I, I my mother occasionally asks me, uh, you know, who lives in Minnesota now, uh, occasionally asks me for an updated uh, prognosis on the idea on the pro- the prospect of impeachment or resignation, um, which <laughs> uh, I can understand the impulse to ask the question. Um, no, that's, right, that's my favorite thing. All the time, but if you work in DC media or journalism right. at all, like you become every, an expert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So where are we now? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It's well. I can't. I, can tell I have a small family, I, so I have to do less of it than a lot of people. <laughs> so I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't gripe. But but no, but every was, time when we, I was on vacation, I just can't. Tell, I used to steal myself because I knew when I'd meet people that's that's. A, you know, that's exactly they want to know from me, right? Yeah, they just sure. want to pump me, and sure. pump me, pump me for all that. Well, and I, I, I mean, and I was running away from it. Right? <laughs> right. Same. Yeah. Well, and I think everybody wants to believe that there's somebody who's got some sort of special information who can yeah. clarify right. these. These. So what do you tell your mommy? Clouds are distra- are distressing. Um. Well, that's the thing. So I every time that we've had this conversation, um, I I sort of give I, I wind her up a little bit and then come back to the same conclusion that there is a zero percent chance that Donald Trump leaves office before. Uh, 2020, and there's like a, I, I think like a 15 to 20 percent chance that he leaves office before 2024 because people just don't really lose re-election to the White House in this country, um, and that's and I think that's the signal. And the rest of this, uh, as damning as the noise is, the rest of this is noise in terms of the raw uh, power structure and and power seeking behavior of 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 all politicians. To be fair, but but uh, frankly, the Republican Party's proven better at it over the years uh, than the Democratic Party. And again. The fundamentals of this are they they have been swept into uh, power in all three branches of government thanks to this uh, this fondness in this certain corner of the country for this deeply vulgar, uh, deeply uh, messy president. That means he is important to their mission. Um, and so they will continue to cape for him through a, a lot of this stuff. And, 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 and they'll continue to get credit in the press for the mildest form of agreement with the idea that yeah this might not be totally cool guys like right. Trey Gowdy Trey Gowdy was getting uh very very heartily patted on the back on Morning Joe today uh when I woke up for having the audacity to as a republican uh tell Fox News yeah we should get to the bottom of this and then if you go and actually watch the clip of him saying yeah we should get to the bottom of this again he's saying because the drip, drip, drip is just getting in the way, and right. and if I'm if I'm in that administration, I pull everybody who was any part of the campaign into a room and say, okay, write down. I think his line was something like, from Doctor Zhivago to the last time you had vodka with a guy named Boris, write down every time you've ever had any interaction with a Russian person uh, or the concept of Russia or things beginning with R, um, <laughs> and 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 then we'll have a comprehensive list and we can go through and know, that, and and, and whether the presumption of that statement is. We can go through and exonerate all of this activity or not. I, I don't think really matters. The, the point is, yes, there's been a change. Yes, there's been a, a shift in the last 36 hours in Republican 
attitude on this stuff and public statements on this stuff, but it's not the kind of wholesale engagement with the idea that our democracy may have been subverted and that the no. integrity of the country uh, and the sovereignty of our democracy uh, is of greater value to America, to the world, than tax cuts for very rich people, deregulating Wall Street, cutting health care, destroying safety nets. Yeah, it's like it's uh, an annoyance because it's exactly. getting in the way. Now, are you an attorney? God, no. Okay, so neither am I. Do you, need, do you need? Do you need one? Do you I know need some. legal help? Uh, and neither, I can. And neither <laughs> off, on, the, on the break, on the break, I'll, but, I'll give uh, you some numbers. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but now that we've established that n- uh, none of the three of us are attorneys, I want to ask you, how much legal jeopardy do you think Donald Trump Jr.? Uh, because there is, by the way, on, on your point, there is still a criminal investigation right. being conducted by the Justice Department right. of the Trump administration about possible collusion and obstruction of justice right. on the part of Donald Trump president right. and people around him. Right. So that's one thing that could change the equation you just pointed True. out. Now, so, and one factor in that, and the most recent factor, is that we've got these emails right. where a foreign government says, or a, a, a person is informing the Trump campaign that the foreign government, Russia, has a plot to... Un, uh, to undermine your election to help your father and we right. have a Trump person Donald Trump Jr. saying right. I love it. Right. Great. Bring yeah. it on. Let's do let's it. Let's make sure we do it later in the summer when more people uh, are paying attention. Right. right. Legally how, let's just speculate how, how serious do you think that is? Well yeah from from my understanding from from asking people who are lawyers right. uh, uh, yeah it, if you're if you're uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter if um, the woman with the very long last name, yeah, I, with whom he met. Even try to um, pronounce right. Uh, yeah, I was I was working out this morning in the cab, and I decided, you know what? No, more dignified. Yeah. Just don't. Um, it doesn't matter if if she is in fact uh, as connected to the Kremlin as her reputation indicates, because by all reputation, she is a power player in in Moscow. Uh, it doesn't matter if that's not true. The fact, uh, as I understand it, the, 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 legal, the legally relevant piece of this for any potential investigation or, um, or, or future prosecution would be what Trump Jr. and Manafort and Kushner believed they were doing. And based on those emails, it is uh, entirely clear and irrefutably clear that the premise of the meeting and the excitement about the meeting and the bringing in of the two senior most people on Trump's campaign at that point was somebody saying... Hey, this lady's from the Russian government, and she wants to help you bring down Clinton. Right. Uh, I just want to read the two operative sentences. The sentence, uh, so the email in the email from Rob Goldstone, who's the publicist in the Brit. Yeah, he's a trip. Who, who, he is a trip boy. It's, you could do a whole I hour love just this on. Guy. Yeah, yeah. He and Donald the, Trump. The deser- taste in shirts alone. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> deserve each other. Red carpet. Uh, really. So he <laughs> he represents. The rock star who's the son of the business guy that Donald right. Trump was trying to build a hotel with. It is so sleazy. Anyhow, Goldstone writing to Trump. This is obviously very high level and sensitive information, but is part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump. No doubt about what they're talking That's, about. I don't know how you make a gun smoke harder than that. And Don, <laughs> Don emails back, if it's what you say, I love it. Yeah, yeah, two two great lines. Better together. <laughs> it's I, yeah. I I I think um, so, again. I, I think I think the 
the the, the there, legal facts and the, and the political facts here get get very estranged very fast. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I think the the reaction you're seeing in the press and the reaction that that we as reporters are hearing from the lawyers that we know when we ask them about this stuff is pretty universal. Like, yeah, this is this is about as bad as it could be. And and every excuse that they've thrown out in sort of rapid succession, sort of retreating step by step over the past, I guess, four days now, um, since the initial Times report that didn't print the emails. Um, they've been sort of walking back their rationale for why none of this is a problem. And it seems, for now at least, like they're trying to hang their hat on the idea that uh, this conversation uh, broke no laws. And, and, and it looks like, uh, under campaign finance law at least, that, that simply isn't true. That uh, a, a engaging with a uh, foreign source for information for purposes of your campaign constitutes a contribution of value to That's that That's pretty campaign. clear. I mean, right. from what I've seen, right? Uh, and so, and so, we've gone from that to a, a the drawing of an equivalence between um, what Trump Jr. Uh, what Trump Jr. says he did uh, with Manafort and Kushner, and uh, and and the idea that uh, either the Clinton campaign or the DNC were uh, soliciting assistance, political assistance from folks in the Ukraine during the campaign, um, and two two reactions to that. Um, Okay, if they were that, that may well also be illegal. Does that make what right, your guys right. did? Yeah, not illegal because right. I don't think that's how the law works. Again, not a lawyer, but I don't think that you just turn left enough times and then you're going right. Like I don't Haven't think it we always, works quite didn't that you way. Teach your kids two wrongs don't make a right. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's pretty basic. Kind of. What I think is interesting about this in particular is is some of the people that have rushed to the defense of of little Donnie. Is uh, I, I, guess I keep thinking of, of Walter Sobchak and uh, Big Lebowski, where he's just beating the crap out of the car. And he's screaming about this is what you get, Donnie. Uh, the friend of stranger in the Alps. Yeah, right, right. But uh, like some of the defense is well, to prove treason or to prove that this is like where we're going, Donald Jr. would have wanted to take down the entire electoral system, not just Hillary Clinton. That's like where the goalposts have moved for Republicans. Right. right? <laughs> I've seen some Republicans right. around say like, no, 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 no. He he has respect for the electoral system. He just hates mm. Hillary Clinton. And that's what this was about. Which is like, again, moving the goalposts. You mean the Alex Jones defense? Because they met with one lady who wanted to talk about sanctions. They're like, no, we want to talk about Russian connections to Hillary, which are now confirmed. That's Donald Jr. doing his job so that he's trying to find Russian spies. He's now a Russian spy. Did so that's coming out. All these wars Alex Jones. Folks, tie folks, together. Folks, folks, first of all, we have to prove. First of all, there is no proof that Hillary Clinton herself was not an actual Russian agent, first of all. So uh, Donald Jr. is, without a doubt, folks, an absolute American patriot because we know that Hillary Clinton was actually taken over by the Russians to run and run this country into the ground. So he did us a favor. Now do you see why I play clips of Alex Jones? This show is out of control. <laughs> you got you to be able to mess with your boss. That's good Alan, action. Jimmy. Alan, can you get this back? Can we get this Thank back you, on track here? No. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Alan which, is the voice which of Which track? <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry. Well, there's another defense, too, uh, which you have talked about. All right? Yeah. Uh, which is uh, Donald Trump can do anything he wants. He could not debase the Oval Office. Any lower right. than Barack Obama did because Barack Obama hung out with Beyonce. Right. Uh, this was my friend uh, Tucker Carlson the other night. <laughs> Delightful poor, young man. Poor Tucker. Uh, Perpetually who has to 12. Go, has to go to so such lengths to, to find new ways of defending the Trump White House. Next time I see him, 
I'm going to give him a lot of, you know what about this? Here he is. Let's be totally clear about this and not lie about it. The left doesn't hate Trump because he's vulgar, though he is. They applauded when Barack Obama vacationed with rappers. Oh. Lena Dunham is an artist. Oh. They hired Kathy Griffin. No, they hate Trump because he's Obama a nationalist who says Griffin. the interests of America and its people ought to come <laughs> first. And that's fine. Let them hate him for that. The rest of the country loves it. Good God. I, I, I don't understand. Well, no, that's not true. I do understand. Um, it, it, it continues that it continues to be a thing for conservatives, uh, whether they put a, an R next to their name or not, uh, conservative commentators in this country to um, be that lazy about the entire uh, category of of music that has been coming out of uh, uh, black cultural centers um, for pushing 50 years now um, to to render. Uh, anyone whose whose form of artistic expression corresponds to this complex constellation of a culture that is hip hop um, as inherently uh, debased, as inherently uh, immoral, and and representative of um, mm-hmm. something something inconsistent with American values uh, is so intensely lazy at this point. I mean, it was it was lazy when Tipper Gore was doing it too, um, but but. Uh, but that was 30 years ago, uh, almost, and 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 that we're that we're still getting this retreat, this extremely lazy retreat to the sort of Obama's hip hop barbecue didn't create any jobs, um, <laughs> trolling of 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 any um, appraisal of black artistic culture uh, that is that is thoughtful, that is holistic, that that values rap and rappers as art and artists uh, uh, rather than uh, avatars of some rapacious, uh, predatory, Culture thuggish, yeah. uh, sort of stereotypical uh, white, scared white American rendering of um, the inner city and, and black America is 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 mind boggling. And, yeah. and and it's especially, you know, we're talking now about uh, a, an advance in the Russia story that was born at sort of courtside at the Miss Universe pageant in 2013 oh, in by Moscow. by the way, yeah, let's and talk about... And you want about, to talk about, uh-huh, like, yeah. the, the, the Obamas having uh, <laughs> hung out with the American yeah. equivalent of royalty. Like, the closest thing we have to royals in this country are our entertainment celebrities. Um, and probably the closest thing we had to a king and queen during the eight years of the Obamas' uh, uh, time in the White House were Beyonce and Jay-Z. Yeah. And uh, the, the, it's, it's not just about that as a status marker it's about that status having been achieved on the back of um 15 20 year careers making um music yeah. that both people really like and enjoy and and is uh is is operating yeah. a high level artistically to comment on the the realities of life in this country that people like Tucker Carlson simply never see and go out of their way not to see. You, yeah, I mean, talk about you want to talk about class. Look at the people Donald Trump was hanging. We've played a couple of clips the last few days. The people Donald Trump was hanging out in Moscow with for his Miss Universe contest. Don't talk to me about low class and high class. But I, I, just a little bit of time left. It's, it's sort of segue from appreciation of black culture to this lawsuit in Baton Rouge you've written about against Black Lives Matter? Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of lawyers in, in Louisiana who have now, uh, this is the second lawsuit they've filed trying to hold uh, Black Lives Matter, quote unquote, sort of as an entity, um, and specifically the, the five lead sort of uh, founding organizers of Black Lives Matter, who I think 
don't particularly like being thought of as the leaders of the movement, but um, we're talking about people like yeah. Dory McKesson and Jeanette Elsey and, and uh, three or four other people who, who have been less prominent on television. Um, the, the lawsuit attempts to uh, hold them civilly liable for uh, the ambush attack by a lone gunman who was part of a sovereign citizen movement who uh, explicitly disavowed street protests as a way of getting uh, winning reforms to how uh, police operate in America and how police treat yeah. black people in America. Uh, it was the second such attack in the same summer. Against after police the officers. Dallas. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. An, an ambush of police officers. Three killed in Baton Rouge. Three more um, uh, struck non-fatally, including this guy who was shot three times, survived a gunshot to the head. Um, who's who's been in intensive um, cognitive and physical but, recovery? So they're trying to, and they're suing on his behalf, trying to trying to insist that um, that culpability for that criminal act lies with street protests. Yeah, uh, no, that's a lawsuit that's uh, going nowhere and should go nowhere. But Alan, we just scratched the surface here, man. So thanks so much for uh, all your good work over there. Think Progress. Thanks for coming in. All right, good to see you. Have a good rest Take of care. the summer. Thinkprogress.org is where you follow Alan Pike. We'll be back with Sabrina Siddiqui. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Ah, yes, they used to say all smoke and no fire. Uh, They're not saying that anymore after the flames uh, surrounding Donald Trump Jr. Hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Wednesday, July 12, great to see you um, here on The Bill Press Show. And look who's back. Back, indeed, Sabrina Siddiqui joining us from uh, The Guardian. Hello, Sabrina. Hi, how are nice you? Nice to see you. Nice you to know, be here. What do we do with these slow news days oh, in gosh. Washington? You know, I mean, it's it's tough, and right? there's nothing happening, right, to try to... I just think it's jarring that they put this in an email so explicitly. <laughs> like, that's actually, I mean, in addition to the fact that this, this did happen in the yeah, way that we all yeah, did, we didn't right. know if there was a smoking gun, and now we actually have something that qualifies. They were stupid enough to exchange all of this in an email. If it's what you say, I love it. I mean, like, like that's like number one rule. If you're going to do something that's a little shady, don't put it in writing. Right. Like, even mm-hmm. I, saw I, would ever of, do know, I saw some of the Obama DOJ uh, lawyers yeah, tweeting, yeah, you're stunned right. that they were this stupid, that this uh, is an Yeah, email. I was in the middle of a conversation about something pretty non consequential uh, regarding the White House Correspondents Association uh, last weekend. And I, a couple of people emailed me and said, oh, can't put it in an email. What's your phone number? I need to call you. Yep. Right, you know, they, they didn't want to put it in writing. Uh-uh, not not the Trump Jr. He's got everything in writing. And anyway, Sabrina's with us. You are with us. We are. Uh, we've got lots and lots to talk about. We want to hear from you on Twitter at BP Show. Your comments 
on Donald Trump Jr. and his email chain. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. (laughs) If you're looking to travel, Travel and Leisure put out their list of the Uh, world's top uh, 15 cities to travel to. Mm, Paris. Number one. Paris. Not Paris. Get out of here. San Miguel de Allende in Mexico is number one. Okay. Number one. Number two, which was number one last year, is Charleston, South Carolina. This is a dubious list. What are you talking about? I like Charleston, but the world's greatest places. Yeah, exactly. I like Charleston, too, but no. No. Number. (laughs) Go on. It's a personal story here. Number three. No, I always do this story. Number three, because Charleston is always number one. Uh, Number three is Chiang Mai in Thailand. Jesus. Number four is Kyoto, Japan. Who made up this list? Travel and leisure. Where's Italy? Uh, Sabrina, I'm glad you asked. Uh, number five the, is Florence, are, Italy. Are, are okay. we in the period when I, the part of the show when I can say bullshit? Yeah. I guess we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it appears as though yeah. we are. <laughs> right. Well, bullshit. Also also on the list at number 12, Sabrina, is Rome, Italy. Yes. Number so two, 12. Two, Come on. Uh, in the top 15, you got two Italian uh, cities. Yeah, By the yeah. way, also representing America. I'll take Rome. I'll take Paris. Rome I'll take should London. be above Florence, but go on. Okay. Also on the list yeah, uh, representing yeah. America is Santa Fe, New Mexico. Ooh. Yeah, this list is. Whack. I love Santa. Santa Fe. Fe's cool. It's a great. It's, cool it's a great town. This is a what, what, when I put it in the world, like if I, I gotta worlds. go visit, yeah, I, fifteen I, I, spots I, in the world. No, if you look at the size of it and you look at the number of people going there, it's. I mean, I don't know what they're. You know what I think? What it is is these are their travel writers. Where they get the biggest perks, probably. <laughs> yeah. right. No, seriously, the, the biggest free meals, yeah. the best hotel rooms, and all this there's stuff. And then you might not be wrong. There's you some, might not there's be some wrong. Trump Jr. quid pro quo happening here. Believe that. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which, uh, a new story. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Hackers gained access to credit cards and other information from guests at 14 Trump Organization properties <laughs> in 2016 and had unfettered access to the information for months, according to uh, the organization. They reported that yesterday, put out a statement saying that if you use a credit card at any of the Trump hotel prop or, or 14 of the Trump organization properties. Not only did they get your credit card information, they didn't do anything about it for months. If you stayed at a Trump uh, property, you played yourself. You played yourself. Well, um, were these the Russians who were doing this hacking? The word of who was doing I hope so. I wonder. I hope it was. <laughs> your radio on tv and online this is the bill press show hey you got it wednesday july 12 here we are the bill press show good to be with you again thank you for joining us as we reach out to you from our studio on capitol hill in washington dc coast to coast joining you wherever you are in the united states of america and around the globe of course on youtube youtube.com slash the bill press show on uh, the great WCPT out in Chicago, hello Chicago land. On Free Speech TV nationwide, all part of the Young Turks Network. And um, again, we always encourage you to go to our website, uh, BillPressShow.com, and join our podcast anytime during the day, where the entire show is up there for you to catch up on something you may have missed 
uh, during the morning. And so a lucky today to have with us to help us through the day's news, Sabrina Siddiqui from The Guardian. Hello, Sabrina. Hello. Here is Donald Trump Jr. Uh, going on, well... He finally found a friendly place a to go. A safe haven. A safe haven, right. Safe space. Sean Hannity, last night on Fox News, where he said, this whole thing ain't nothing, Sabrina. Oh, Did, yes. Do you tell your father anything about this? No. Uh, it was such a nothing. There was nothing to tell. Mm-mm. I mean, I wouldn't have even remembered it until you start scouring through the stuff. It was, it was literally just a wasted 20 minutes, which was a shame. Yeah. And if I had to do it over again, maybe, maybe, maybe I would think twice. In retrospect, I probably would have done things a little differently. Honestly, my takeaway when all of this was going on is that someone has information on our opponent. You know, things are going a million miles an hour. You know what it's like to be on a campaign. I've been reading about scandals that people were probably underreporting for a long time. So maybe it was something that had to do with one of those things. There it is. And his father tweeted out this morning that uh, Donald Jr. last night on Sean Hannity was... uh, uh, did a great job, was in convincing, and he was innocent. And this is the still the greatest witch hunt in history. Yes, even after we now have emails where he's being told of a Russian government effort to aid his father. Yeah, the emails, front page, Washington, New York Times, Dude. and front page, page Washington four. Post, uh, all over the place, yeah. I uh, love that if I, in retrospect, I would have done things differently is exactly what Hillary Clinton said about the use <laughs> of her private email server. <laughs> There's so much irony here. There is so much. And I, and it's, it's of course, Hannity, who is uh, one of the most vocal proponents of Trump's and an unwavering supporter. So, frankly speaking, even if you were to try and take any of the ex- explanations from Trump. by Trump, Trump Jr. Oh, another tweet. Um, you know, on their face, the, he has no credibility. His story changed every step of the way. So why should we believe anything he says when, in the course of seventy-two hours, you had lie after lie after lie unraveled because the New York Times kept reporting and reporting, right, right. and there was this drip, drip, drip. You think back to that first explanation on Saturday that this meeting was just about adoption and that's it. Mm -hmm. And Jared and Paul Manafort didn't even know like what the meeting was going to be about. I didn't really know it was going to be about, I didn't even know that she had ties to the Russian government. Um, And now you you quite clearly see not only was it laid out for him explicitly that they had what they called highly sensitive information to incriminate Hillary Clinton offered by the Russian government but also that he forwarded those emails to Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort. That's very key, too. Yeah. Because so, Jared Kushner is actually a senior advisor to the White House. Right. Trump Jr. is not. Right. So let's let's pause right there just to uh, uh, read them a couple of times. I want to read again the pertinent parts of these emails just to underscore your point. So, and, and Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort are copied on these emails. This gets to the point of when they said originally... First, that there was no, there were no meetings. Well, now we know where there were a whole score of meetings, but this particular meeting. And then they said it was all about adoption. Well, now we know it wasn't. And they said, well, they didn't know ahead of time, you know, what this meeting was all about. Here's the here's the email that set it up. The first one that introduced it from this Rob Goldstone, who by himself is a burlesque character to start with. An right? understatement. Um, <laughs> who says to uh, Donald? So he his connection is he represents the rock star. 
whose daddy, who the rock star who uh, who was uh, appeared in the Miss Universe contest, sang a couple of numbers for the Miss Universe contest, Donald Trump's Miss Universe contest in Moscow. His daddy is the big developer businessman close to Vladimir Putin who tried to put a Trump hotel deal together with Donald Trump in Moscow. So he's got this connection to the Trump family. He writes to Donald Jr. The crown prosecutor of Russia met with Eamon's father this morning and in their meeting offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father. Here is the part that's been highlighted in the New York Times. This is obviously very high-level and sensitive information, but is part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump. And Donald Trump, within seven minutes, 17 minutes, replies, Thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. I'm on the road at the moment. Perhaps I can speak to Eamon first. Seems we have some time. Here's the key part, underscored again, or highlighted. And if it's what you say, I love it. Oh, my gosh. What does that say other than? There's no way to. You've got some dirt on Hillary. There's no way to spin that. There isn't. And that's, this is as explicit as you could imagine. And so even the the explanation that they've given that nothing came of the meeting um that's like the other spin that well they didn't actually collude in the end because they didn't get information which again they have no credibility so we can't even uh, take that at its at face value but let's just say you even went with that the emails show a willingness to collude with the russians yeah and i was on capitol hill yesterday asking republicans Oh, uh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I, in the hallways <coughs> about that very fact that, mm-hmm. okay, because they all kept saying we need, as they you would expect them to, it's premature. We need to know more. We want him to testify before the relevant committees. <sighs> you know, we right now we, it would, we don't want to just jump to conclusions. And I said, okay, but in the email, it's a, there's very clearly a willingness to collude with the Russians. He is told, and I read that very same part to them, uh, that the Russian government is trying to aid his father, and this is highly sensitive information that would incriminate yeah. Hillary. And, of course, a lot of them just deflected and said, well, Bob Mueller, special counsel, is looking into this, so we'll see where the investigation leads. It's concerning. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. about That's about it. Yeah. Uh, you can. I mean, it's like how many times are you going to play this? Imagine if it were Hillary Clinton game. Imagine if Chelsea I can't do Clinton. That anymore. No. I, just, I can't do that anymore. I know, but it's like imagine if Chelsea Clinton had exchanged these emails through the Clinton Foundation with anyone, forget even Russia of all play of all like GOP primary foes. And impeachment hearings would have already impeachment started. Impeachment hearings would have already begun. Yeah. yeah no doubt about it. Right. Just, um, yeah. Well, I don't know whether you uh, had a chance to uh, uh, talk to Senator Cruz from uh, from Texas, right? Uh, others went even further in terms of trying to dismiss this, right? Uh, for, for Ted Cruz saying, first of all, nobody, nobody in Texas gives a damn. Washington is obsessed right now. It, it is the Democratic talking point du jour. Yeah. That's, but that's when right. I go back to Texas, nobody asks about Russia. Mm-mm. I had no. Bill Cassidy of Louisiana also say, oh, I did a teletown hall and there's like thousands of people who called in. No one asked about Russia. 
Ted Cruz said it's a media obsession as well and tried to yeah. say, well, the Obama-Clinton agenda was one of appeasement. So we're still running somehow against Obama-Clinton as if the campaign is ongoing when it's like one person sits in the Oval Office. It's not Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama for that matter. And this is not about foreign policy. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. about <laughs> a, foreign, a hostile foreign actor having, as we know him, in, in, uh, interfered in our elections. And now it looks like quite clearly there was at least evidence of a, a desire to collude on the part of the campaign that Remember, it is the democratic talking point du jour oh. yeah right oh. by the way like ted cruz does does make a point right that there are probably people in his district there are a lot of republicans oh. who just oh. aren't talking about yes, it because right. yeah you know for whatever reason they, they got bigger fish to fry but that doesn't mean that it's not something that we should be taking seriously and should right. be taking action on uh, the other night at dinner um a fellow reporter asked me so so he said so where were you in watergate and i said i was alive i said well first of all <laughs> um i was in california in watergate and i didn't know anything about it he said what Mm. And, yeah. you know, I didn't for a long time. And I remember coming back as you know, grew up in Delaware. My dad's in Fenwick Island. We went to visit him. And I'm reading the Washington Post. And I'm this is the early days of Watergate. Yeah. But this was Bernstein and Woodward in their early reporting. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, yeah. this is pretty serious stuff. Right. But the rest of the country didn't know what was going on. Now, it became kind of a big thing, but I'm not surprised that right now a lot of people are not up on all the day-to-day stuff as we are of this Russian investigation. But It also it, should be pointed out that Watergate took like over two years. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's my point. Right? Sorry, yeah. it, it took time to build up, yeah. right? <coughs> but <coughs> when you have, it is against the law to accept help from a foreign government yeah. to influence the outcome of an election. And when you have concrete evidence that help is offered by a foreign government and the number one person like in the campaign really uh, saying he's eager to get it, it may not be concrete evidence of collusion, but it certainly is uh, the the uh, intent to collude. And the, the other in- important thing about Watergate is that even as Nixon was poised to resign, I mean, once he realized he's going to be impeached, he, he still held support from a majority of Republicans, and now you're in an even more hyper-partisan environment. So, yeah. of, it's, of course, it's not going to reach a lot of people in Ted Cruz's district who are, you know, on the Trump train through and through, which is why you saw such an about-face from Ted Cruz, who fought most bitterly against Trump for the Republican nomination and people have taken and chosen, I should say, people have chosen their sides. And we know enough about Trump supporters that really there's nothing that is going to push them off the cliff or get them to withdraw their support for him. Um, that doesn't mean that you ignore exactly what you said, that this is about American democracy mm-hmm. and everything that this country claims to be built upon. So are you going to let someone rewrite the rules just because polls indicate that he's still popular. He could very well still be popular if he were to get impeached. He could still be popular if he were to just get sick of it and resign. Um, that's not going to change the crime at hand. Um, I, and I also think, again, so much more hyper-partisan now. People will, unlike Watergate, 
you know, you had this really great thorough reporting. Well, then you have it now, but now the, the <laughs> deniers, the Trump supporters will just go on and read whatever fake news they want on the internet and convince themselves that this is all some kind of grand conspiracy. They have more tools at their disposal right. to live in an alternate universe, the alternative facts universe. And so, sure, you're not going to see it trickle down into public opinion in quite the same way as you may have once before. The big frustration uh, we're hearing, Peter Baker has a has a good story this morning on, uh, on the front page of the New York Times this morning, is that Donald Trump is so frustrated because this story won't go away, right? Yeah. He wants, how many times have you said this? this in fact, that's that, all he really wants. That Corey Lewandowski quote, uh, just a, uh, just a couple of days, a couple of days ago, I think, or a couple of w- a week or so ago. There was no collusion. There was no coordination. So now I think the issue is officially dead. The issue is officially dead. I mean, how many times has <laughs> the White House tried words. to say that? Right? You know, this is behind us now. In fact, last week, Trump, Trump himself said that after the meeting with Vladimir Putin, it's time to move on. We raised the issue. I gave my opinion. He denied it. It's time to move on. I, they thought once again this was a turning point. They could put it behind him. And ironically, while they're flying home from Paris, the story breaks in the New York Times about this meeting. So suddenly it's all over there again. This story is not going to go away. Uh-oh, is he tweeting? I just need to t- mention this tweet because he did Uh-oh. tweet while you were Uh-oh. talking. Breaking news. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump this tweets. is a Bill Press show breaking news update. Yeah, we've got, we've got it. He Uh-oh. says that the Washington Times states... Democrats have willfully used Moscow disinformation to influence the presidential election against Donald Trump. <laughs> so he's quoting the Washington Times, which is essentially Fox News on yeah, in print, in print. Uh, and says that the, claiming what that-, that the Democrats are using the disinformation, fake news, uh, about Moscow to influence the presidential election against Donald Trump, so that. Democrats are actually the ones using fake yep. news, the Russia fake news, to discredit his presidency. That's what he says in a tweet. You know, the thing is, because to your point that you were making Playing the victim. about yeah. this story. And not, blaming Democrats. About this story not going away. This story has not gone away because <laughs> he has brought it upon himself. If this were any sane, functional administration and there was an investigation... They would have said, you know, we'll let the investigators do their work. Yep. We, you know, we're confident in that we don't have, you know, any, that we haven't committed any wrongdoing. We're focused on our agenda and just shut up and don't talk about yeah, it. Shut up. But he has constantly tweeted absurd claims about how, you know, Obama wiretapped him and then invited more reporting around you know, what exactly has transpired at Trump Tower? He, you know, is the reason he fired James Comey abruptly because of Russia and then accused accused him or threatened him with tapes, therefore inviting a spe- essentially a special yeah. counsel. There would yeah. be no special counsel if he hadn't, you know, taken all of that action against Comey. And then, you know, it's one thing if he had fired him, but then he obviously chose <laughs> to tweet inane things. And here we are again where, you know, it's because... He has really kept this and been been so obsessed with this uh, in his own rants on Twitter yeah. and in other forums and in pub press conferences. People have kept digging and doing their reporting because it's become the biggest story of his presidency. 
I mean, and, and I just really don't think that that would have been the case if there were just an investigation going on quietly in the background. Right. And they were actually passing, you know, a, a health care plan, you know, actually moving some sort of agenda. You know, one thing we haven't talked about this morning, and I, I don't have the whole story in front of me, so I want to be careful here. But um, Mother Jones, David Korn, has been doing some excellent reporting on this, uh, uh, came out, had a story yesterday, I don't know whether you saw it, Sabrina, where... That that this the Donald Trump emails really confirm part, at least at least some parts of the Steele diaries or the uh, the Steele dossier. All right, let's go back. The Steele dossier. He was the former British spy who was hired by I forget whom to look into Donald Trump and wrote this dossier about Donald Trump's activities in Moscow which included the golden <laughs> uh, shower stuff. Yeah. No. Yeah. And sure but too early. Sure I know, I know. But are it you aware also, of what golden showers are, Sabrina? Well, just for people who didn't know. You <laughs> <laughs> didn't know. We're not going to talk about it. We don't have to talk here. about it. I right. just But just I'm just Google it. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But there were parts of the Steele dossier which talked about the fact that the Russians had a on a secret campaign yeah. to collect information on Hillary and get it to the Donald Trump campaign. Right. That was part of the Steele dossier. So that this could this could reawaken, reopen that whole can of worms <laughs> for the Trump administration, which is the last thing they need. Uh and, and there were those who said at the time, you should not dismiss this whole Steele dossier because this guy is very, very Bonafide's got a great reputation uh, and knows what he was talking about, and his stuff is pretty solid. So just want to point that. That's, maybe that's the next shoe to drop. Wouldn't that be wild? Um, but no, this is not going to go away. And I think we, It's believable. Uh, I can see it happening. Uh, the other John part, McCain kept saying, there's going to be another shoe. There's always going to be another shoe. And he with keeps these saying guys. that. He keeps there's saying that's what shoe. he said. Is there's always going to be another shoe? You know, God forbid John McCain do anything about well, that's it. The, the question oh, no. is, yeah, is a lot of people yeah. criticize. I'm sick of these Republicans, but then they say, don't really. Oh, do this anything. is so terrible. But yeah, of course I still support yeah. him because he's my president. Yeah. Right? Blank check yeah. on everything, but they'll they'll right. they'll, they'll give lip service to the uh, to the problem. All right, so Sabrina, uh, first thing I did when I got up this morning, and uh, we started the show this way. I I've, I don't usually do this, but. Um, I did it when we were talking about emolument. So now we're talking about collusion. All Mm -hmm. right. So I'm going to read you the definition of collusion. Okay. Definition of collusion. Quote, secret or illegal cooperation or conspiracy, especially in order to cheat or deceive others. Does it meet the definition? I mean, most people would say yes. Uh, the question that, I would the question that I think will has pretty clear that question that has surfaced, although I think most legal experts say the emails are so damning that there's no way around them, is this idea of pleading ignorance that you know they're 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 just trying to say they're incompetent and they didn't know babe that, in the woods yeah, yeah. They didn't First know campaign, that they're they're, they're babe, know, that they're breaking right. the law yeah. Yeah. Um, but the emails are just so clear. <laughs> If it's what you say, I love it. Um, the idea that you wouldn't, that you, no matter what, whether it's your first campaign or not, that you wouldn't know 
that there is that this is that this is wrong. And so many Republican do something about Republican it. operatives, campaign operatives, yes, have said said like you know, uh, uh, um, Weaver, not Weaver, uh, Stuart Stevens, Stuart Stevens, mm-hmm. um, uh, among others, John Weaver, yeah, John and, Weaver, and Stuart Stevens from John and Rick Tyler. Campaign. Uh, Ted Cruz's campaign. Michael Steele from Jeb Michael Bush's Steele, campaign. Really out, everyone. Right. They, <laughs> they all came out and said, you get a call from a foreign government saying, we want to help you win this election and we got some information on your opponent. The first call you make is to the FBI. And Stuart Stevens, who is a veteran of five presidential campaigns, <laughs> the most recent having been Mitt Romney's, pointed out that he worked on the George W. Bush campaign in 2000. Yes. And people don't, may not remember that Al Gore's campaign received a, a package anonymously that were the briefing the, book, the, the briefing book the, and videotapes of, of George W. Bush preparing for the debate. It was basically oh, his video debate. Tapes too? I, I think there was that. a tape, but I yeah. know there was a right, briefing right. book. Yeah. Basically, it was George W. Bush's debate preparation. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that Thomas Downey, former congressman who was at the time yeah. the, Al Gore's debate coach, Reported to the FBI. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what you do. And he sent it back. And some people were like, oh, you know, some people were saying on Twitter to Stuart Stevens when he was tweeting about this, I bet they copied it. And he's like, nope, there actually didn't seem to be, based on the debates, any indication that he had, mm-hmm. that yeah. Al Gore yeah. had, you know, been no. briefed on what was in our debate prep because it was quite clear from the debates that he, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't, he hadn't seen it. it um, and and there was an FBI investigation that followed. Yeah. It turned, and you know that wasn't even a hostile foreign right. agent. No, no, that was just coming yeah. <laughs> from some. From actually, it looked to be the media firm that was actually an Austin-based media firm that was handling George W. Bush's right. media, among others. So yeah, that was a very right. convoluted, you know, source. Okay. But um, uh, now, uh, just uh, a couple of minutes here before we move on, because Pat, uh, former Congressman Patrick Murphy from Florida is going to be joining us. Um, you were on the Hill yesterday. You were talking to members of Congress. You were talking to a lot of senators. Um, Mitch McConnell uh, said, we're not going to go away so early in August now. We're going to hang around in August, and we're going to get this health care bill done. What, what, what's your read on whether or not Republicans are going to be able to pass yeah. a repeal and replace bill? Right. I wrote about this. I think that, look, the sticking point stands that— it's really difficult to bring Ted Cruz and Susan Collins on the same page. And I think there is not yet. They've offered some ways to bring more moderates on board, more funding for the opioid crisis, some sort of reserve fund for low income people. If they're going to cut back on Medicaid to kind of offset those cuts. Um, but, but Ted Cruz and the conservative wing want to undo all of the regulatory you know, right, yeah, mandates right. of Obamacare. Yeah. And that's not something that it looks like leadership can do. They know that they can't. Um, and so you need 50. You can only lose two Republicans, right. and they haven't yet figured it out. And Mitch McConnell has apparently said that he's going to keep in place two of Obamacare's taxes on high-income earners, you know, people making above 200000 individually or 250000 as a household, because that will give them revenue worth, let's say, $700 billion that they could then pour into you know, some of these reserve funds to try and mm-hmm. bring aboard the moderates. So can you imagine conservatives going for a proposal that yeah, keeps in yeah. place two of <laughs> the Affordable Care Act's <laughs> biggest taxes? But, you know, the, obviously the big criticism was, well, this, you know, they're they're keeping they're cutting taxes for the wealthy in addition to what else they're doing, you know, while they're stripping away Medicaid. So Medicaid funding. So obviously they're trying to 
push back against these criticisms. Again, I just don't see, though, how you br- you bring the right wing, you know, and the more centrist wing of the Republican Party uh, around the same proposal. And then you have to kick it back to the House. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to deal with the Freedom Caucus. So I, I'm I'm still trying to see how they get to 50. They might. I mean, don't don't underestimate Michigan. Republicans just just voting for anything because they promised that they would repeal Obamacare. And certainly, but it certainly has not proven to be as easy as they thought, right? All the talk about we're going to they repeal They only had it. seven years repeal yeah, right. to come up with a plan. Uh, yeah, they only had seven years to come up with a plan. Uh, they came up with none. They've had six months now to come up with a plan. They've come up with none. Uh, you're right. They may do it. But um, how do members feel about hanging uh, hanging around Washington for uh, August? You know, honestly, they weren't as, uh, at least publicly, Upset as you might imagine. Really, I think that look. They, I mean, I some, some privately, I think there were words exchanged. Yeah, that was the implication. Pissed. I heard there was a collective groan. That, yes, Senate it floor. seems like so. They, well, it seems like they were they were certainly privately some of them disgruntled. But at the end of the day, uh, I think that they also realized going back to their districts, not having resolved health care, um, is is going to cause problems within and of itself. One quick thing that's important, I'll just quickly note that it's it's notable they're talking about a temporary fix to Obamacare, which is big. Uh, yes. So that, yeah. that, that they might need to stabilize right. the markets, which yes. middle the uncertainty and, right. and the administration yeah. refusing to commit to cost-sharing reduction yeah. payments yeah. that are very critical to Obamacare um, and to the market stability. The fact that Republicans are saying if we can't pass something we may have to put a short-term fix. That's significant. That's significant. Yeah. That means that they yeah. may. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and let me just say this. You, you know. You know what the problem is? Air conditioning. <laughs> air conditioning. Shut down the air conditioning. They'll go home. That is a hot take. <laughs> Literal <laughs> hot, hot take. take. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oops. Yeah. That's what it's all about. All right. By the, so, we got the resistance. We got all this political energy. We got all these young people. What are we going to do moving forward? Here's a man coming up next with some answers. Former Congressman Patrick Murphy from Florida with the Future Forum Foundation is going to tell us all about Sabrina stays with us, and you shall too. They've had six months on this bill since January 4th. They haven't been able to make any progress. Two weeks isn't going to solve their problem. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. video bill's commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com slash the bill press show here we go on a wednesday july 12 the bill press show live coast to coast uh, on the radio on television uh, online any way you can't escape us we're with you on youtube youtube.com slash the bill press show on free speech tv you bet uh, on uh, WCPT out in the Chicago area and brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers. Teachers of America, we love them. They're doing a great job. A lot of them have the summer off, but that doesn't mean they're not working. They're not there on behalf of your kids. We salute them and their leader, um, President Randy Weingarten, direct you to their website, aft.org, to find out more about their good work. Uh, Sabrina Siddiqui still with us here as a friend of Bill this entire hour. 
Uh, and we want to get into the whole subject of what do we do with all this political energy that is out there. Certainly one thing Donald Trump has done is he's, he has awakened uh, the progressive base, uh, young people wanting to get engaged. How do they do so? Uh, Patrick Murphy was at one time the youngest member of Congress uh, representing, I forget what district in Florida, but at any rate, uh, he's still at it. And he's got some ideas on how to harness all of this energy and joins us in studio um, Patrick, I guess, not congressman anymore. Patrick Works, Murph's or, fine, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called a lot of bad things. So. <laughs> Good to see you. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Thanks for, for stopping by. It. You know, uh, it wasn't that long ago you were in Congress, so I do have to ask you on the news of the day. I mean, if you were a sitting member of Congress today and you see the president's son offered information on his political opponent by a foreign government, and the son saying, yeah, we'd love to get that from you. What's your take on that? I mean, it's surreal. And as a former member of Congress that served on the intelligence community that knows exactly what Russia is up to, knows what they are trying to do every single day, not only in our country, but around the world is so this sort of doubt and this unrest. And then to have the president's son, right, his namesake, meeting with the Russians, who everybody knows are not our friends. And he is pleading naivete this morning, I think I read, that he's yeah. saying, I didn't know any better. I'm new to this. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. It's yeah. Russia. Yeah. It's not like a borderline country that we're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. And, and to, to meet with them, it, it's it's beyond comprehension, quite frankly. And, and what's even more surprising, this isn't like the first bombshell. It's once a week this keeps <laughs> happening. I'm not sure how the Republicans sleep at night. I, I really like to think that if the you know shoe was on the other foot, Democrats wouldn't stand for this, even if it was their own party, that our country, that America, that our democracy, our elections are more sacred than our party. And it's a sad state of affairs right now where, where the party is superseding everything else right now. Do you think it's illegal? What well, do you did? Based on what I don't want to go that far yet, but it's sure looking like that. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, more and more people start to get implicated in this in that Trump campaign. And I would be very surprised if the president himself didn't know. We all have read for years, well beyond him even getting into politics, that he's a micromanager, that he likes to know everything that is going on around him. And I think we all know and all have, you know, circumstances like this in our life where someone comes to you with some information and business and family. Hey, you know, give you a little whisper. Guess what I'm doing? Yeah, OK, I don't need to know about that. You know, don't don't yeah. let me know. But good for you. Keep doing what you're doing. And you can just see that playing out with the president over the course of the campaign. And then he goes on, you know, what, a week later after this meeting happened, a couple of days later, hey, folks, there's some good news, or bad, you know, stuff coming out about Hillary Clinton here soon. Keep an eye on on it. So no, that's that a was good in point. his head. That, uh, that's a very good point. The day after this meeting was a day is after, when he right. gave his speech saying, I'm gonna, I've am going i got some hot stuff on Hillary, mm-hmm. and you're going to hear about it within a week. I'm and it was in the speech. emails, I'll forward this to your father's assistant. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, the implication was there that at least that Trump's assistant received this same email chain where all of the, you know, the nature of this meeting is laid out. Right. And he's so close to his son and who is now handling his business, which he hasn't actually divested from, as everyone can right. tell. Yeah. Uh, and Jared Kushner was apparently the whisperer in his, he- in his ear for the whole campaign. And you know, he also attended this meeting. It's just not plausible that he had no idea that this meeting took place. He was at Trump Tower that same day. Right. right. Are you, you so a former as a former member of the House Intelligence Committee, 
Do you have confidence in the House Intelligence Committee under its new leadership to uh, to get to the bottom of this? Yes, I'm confident in, in the folks there on the Hill. And in my conversations, you know, quietly with Republicans and Democrats, uh, they do want to get to the bottom of this. What they say publicly might be slightly different, some of them, than what they're saying, you know, in, in person. They do want to get to the bottom of it. But uh, from what I'm hearing, that committee, which has historically been known to be nonpartisan and just that solve a problem we have, is becoming very partisan all of a sudden with this. And some of my, my colleagues that I have a tremendous but amount of respect became so partisan with the former chair that he had to get out. Yeah, well, he, he never Devin didn't Nunes. do himself any favors right. in those hearings. No. Uh, <laughs> so, Remember that guy? <laughs> Devin Nunes. Yeah, yeah, wow. Devin, running down the White House and saying, oh, I just discovered, made this great big discovery, which was something the White House had just given him. I mean, it was, yeah. And that the White House had been pitching to press organizations yeah, for months right. and knew it was <laughs> yeah, yeah. phony garbage. Right. So we got rid of him. But mm-hmm. even the, even under the new leadership, you hear they're pretty... pretty I, I hear things are still pretty partisan on that committee, which is sad because there shouldn't be partisanship in a lot of what we do. But even on the Intelligence Committee, now that's become poisoned. That's pretty sad. Right. So we have a new organization that you have uh, launched or helped launch, the Future Forum Foundation. What's it all about? Tell us about it. Yes. So I'll just set the stage a little bit. When I got elected uh, to the Congress. Sabrina and I can tear it apart. (laughs) (laughs) So when I got uh, when I got elected in 2012, I was the youngest member of Congress. I was 29 and got elected with a group of people that were also young. Eric Swalwell and Kirsten Sinema, Raul Ruiz, Joe Kennedy and, you know, quite a few Mark Vesey and we realized that there was a, a missing conversation, and that was on issues that affect millennials, mm. student debt, uh, the sharing economy, also called the gig economy, and automation, technology. You know, at the core, where are the future of jobs in 15 years from now? Heck, 10 years from now. Things are changing so quickly. You know, a lot of studies are showing that a great majority of jobs that we have today will not be there for our kids and grandkids. So what are we doing about that conversation? Nothing is really happening in D.C., which kind of speaks to our opening subject here with mm-hmm. President Trump. Whatever issue it is, whether it's teachers, whether it's education, uh, you name it, the environment, none of this is even happening in D.C. because of Donald Trump and all this nonsense. So um, we started this this caucus uh, several years ago. Eric Swalwell is the chair of the caucus in, in the House. There are 26 members of Congress. What's the name of the caucus? The Future Forum. Future Forum Caucus. Caucus. Yeah. And today we are launching the foundation. So it's the Future Forum Foundation. You can go to futureforum.org and see a little bit more about it. Today we're launching, so it's all fresh and new. But uh, the idea is to continue having this conversation now that I'm not in D.C. every day and I can focus more on issues like this that I think are you know, tremendously important because this is the future. These are the things we have to think about. And you dive into an issue like the sharing economy. They say by 2020, about 40% of the American workforce will be involved in the sharing economy. Well, you kind of think that through a little bit. That means you know, no health care for a lot of these folks, no 401k, no pension. Where's that, you know, that, that floor that mm-hmm. we ensure people aren't going to fall through? And who's responsible for that? What, what kind of jobs are we talking about, the sharing economy? So you think of an Uber driver, maybe Lyft, That's the first uh, Airbnb. Thing I thought of. Yes. an Uber driver, yep. yeah. Uh, Airbnb, a TaskRabbit, yeah. uh, dozens and dozens of these, these apps. Uh, I don't say it's good or bad, but I have friends that are working two or three of these jobs just to make ends meet. It, it is a new, evolving economy. Uh, I, I sometimes wish there was a more stable job for them, but that doesn't always exist. So they're trying to do what they can to make ends meet. We got to make sure as that continues to grow that that floor will be there, that government is thinking about these changing uh, jobs in that workforce. The uh, I mean, I haven't 
I've never met an Uber driver who doesn't is not working at least two jobs, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're driving when they're not working their regular job, or they, mm-hmm. or maybe they have another sharing economy job, right? right? Exactly. But that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, uh, and and more and more jobs like that, right? Yes. Which do represent their whole set of challenges. Yes, particularly in terms of, uh, they're not members of a union. They've got nobody fighting for them, right? Representing them, they don't have the benefits, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Vacation or a minimum wage or whatever, or, or health care, most yes. importantly. And and this has come up, say, oh, well, you know, Patrick, is this in conflict with, with, with unions? They know we, we are, in a sense, trying to make sure that that backstop is there, that these folks doing this, that this younger generation does have a voice. Because right now they don't have that representation by any sort of organization. And uh, unfortunately, this conversation isn't isn't taking place right now on the Hill. So what we're trying to so do, what I'm trying to do. So these issues are not, people are not talking about them is what you're saying. And neither party really addressing them? N- not not enough. And, uh, you know, it's hard to blame. There are other very well, important issues, Russia and Trump and, and health care they're trying to take from 23 million people. I mean, these are these are very serious, imminent issues. Mm-hmm. But doesn't mean we can't walk and chew gum at the same are time. You, are you hoping to start a conversation on Capitol Hill or do you have specific legislation that you're already trying to advocate for? Yes. So the caucus and and when I was there, part of the caucus uh, has introduced dozens of pieces of legislation uh, on student debt, on gig economy, on on things that that we should be looking at. And they are continuing to uh, introduce pieces of legislation. And what we're doing now on the outside as a foundation is, you know, we can't legally and technically be doing the legislation. But what we can do is make sure that these voices are getting to the right people. So what I think is, is critical that we have this sort of triangle, that we have the millennials, we have the businesses, and we have the elected officials mm-hmm. to make sure they're all talking and hearing each other because a lot of the conversation is being driven by millennials now. Talk to some companies, uh, you know, quite a few that, that are telling us, you know, Patrick, this is sort of a, a double-headed uh, you know, dragon here we got to uh, address. On the sales side, Millennials aren't coming to storefronts anymore buying. Do we really need a storefront anymore? They're buying online. By the same token, are millennials going to own a car? Are they going to Uber the rest of their life? Are they going to own a house? Can they afford to own a house and put that down payment because of student debt? Or are they going to rent or live at home? Are they going to live in urban areas or suburban areas? You know, All these conversations. But on the flip side of that, a lot of businesses are saying, hey, we're spending tens of thousands of dollars hiring new employees. We get them in the door, we train them, we do all this, and then two years later they quit and go for another job for a, a small pay increase. Where's the loyalty? What, where, what are we missing here that isn't keeping these millennials here in our company? So the workforce retention piece is a growing, but that all goes back to millennials and understanding their mindset. So we want to do some research to really dive into that so we can give that to the businesses and to the policymakers so we're ahead of this curve. It's an interesting question when you think about it. People getting out of college today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it used to be you go to college and you you, you choose your track. Right. For the most part, not everybody. I mean, um, a lot of us, may, uh, not myself, my both sons sort of measured in like anything, you know, <laughs> whatever the <laughs> phrase used to be. But it used to you choose a track based on kind of where you see your career going or what job you want, whether it's law or medicine right. or or kind of whatever, or English if you want to be a teacher. Um, today, I guess that's not necessarily true, right? If you're talking about the gig economy or a sharing economy. And uh, you know, I, I think you I'll, come out of college and it's not, there's no career, mm-hmm. 
clear career path, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And a lot of millennials, a lot of my friends, I have cousins looking for a job right now, isn't sure that that job that he's about to take is even going to be there in five years. Yeah. So they get maybe that job, and the next day they're already looking for the exit plan because they're worried that a robot or a computer might be taking that I was just going to say, automation is such a huge, huge piece of this. Piece of this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I look at it like the next industrial revolution. You know, you, you, you read some of the, the newspaper articles when we had the Industrial Revolution and some of the things that were being written saying, you know, we don't need, you know, we don't need machines and it's going to take our jobs. Stop that. <clears throat> imagine if we didn't allow machines. And, and so at the time, it's tough to imagine how we replace these jobs. But I think through better education, through investing more and retraining and retooling, we are going to be able to replace these people. But it, it's going to be a tough period of time we're going through right now. How do you engage millennials in the civic and political process, uh, you know, in in this most and recent and are they ele- interested? And at are all? they interested in the most recent election? The majority of millennials did vote in, for Hillary Clinton in November. Uh, there was a drop off, having said that, in the turnout when you compared it with mm-hmm. Obama. Um, certainly, there was a lot of, you know, there were a lot of millennials who supported Bernie Sanders in the primary. Um, some of it may have been related, but. It, it it doesn't it didn't seem like they were as engaged in the political process and that was one of the problems in terms of how to reach them. What have been your observations about the level of engagement and the interest among millennials in in the in the in policy and, and politics? Well, as you know, most millennials don't feel they have really a voice up here, no one's really talking to them. It's both the messenger and the message, I believe. And uh, both are missing on I'd say both sides of the aisle right now where there aren't those clear leaders and uh, you know not to get too deep into that conversation about leadership in the house but you know I'm I'm adamant that that next wave of leaders whether that's in the house whether that's in the senate a governor's mansion who knows where there's a really good chance it's going to come from this group of people that these 26 young you know energetic you know articulate members of congress from across the country that really represent millennials and, and diversity and background different walks of life could very likely be those, those leaders so I've I'm hopeful that this foundation will be able to help prop them up and give them more of those opportunities to speak out and get known by these millennials. So that's the messenger piece. And then the message, you know, talking to issues like this that they are feeling and thinking every single day. And people, you know, say to me, oh, Patrick, you know, Hillary, she didn't have an economic message and and Trump did. Come on, we're going to bring back coal jobs, really? I think this is an opportunity to sort of leapfrog some of that nonsense that he's saying and some of the Republicans are sticking to and talk about truly, you know, forward-thinking jobs in the economy where we're heading. I have to ask you on the messenger front. I, I totally agree with you, and I, I, you know, I keep looking for... I was thinking this morning, whatever happened to Pete Buttigieg, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really was I really impressed by him during the Democratic... Uh, the, the DNC chair race, right? <laughs> right? And I haven't heard from him since, right. right? He's the kind of leader, I think, you know, out there. Tim Ryan, I think, is yeah. doing is doing a great job. Um, Jason Kander was uh, another we, young leader. Just yeah. going to mention his name. We, we talked about him yesterday, uh, Jason Kander. Ben Terrace from the Washington Post, mm-hmm. who wrote that recent profile yesterday yeah. on Jason Kander. Uh, so I agree with you, and they're the ones that I'm looking to. So, but how do you explain the phenomenon of Bernie Sanders? <laughs> I mean, the one that the, the millennials gravitated to right. in the primary was Bernie. I think it was because he's so genuine. You know, in a sense, he said what he felt, said what was on his mind. And... It resonated with a lot of folks. And the age it, didn't matter. It did, didn't right. matter. And I, I don't, think the issues, too. Yeah. Um, was, you know, he was certainly out ahead making climate change the central tenet yeah. of his campaign. And 
you know, caught with in terms of student loan debt. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Hillary Clinton also adopted a proposal for debt-free college, and she also well, made climate change right. a pillar. But <laughs> right, well, I think it yeah. was a, it was a, Bernie tapped into maybe mm -hmm. the issues that you're talking about. What is it that some of them, mm -hmm. some right. of them, what yeah. what is it that they're so concerned with? Right, yeah. and and to the earlier point there, millennials might not follow politics, and I don't think boomers followed politics when they were our age either. You know, it, it, every generation is sort of guilty of that. But they have a, a really good knack to, to tell a talking point and to tell who's genuine and not. And unfortunately, some of the folks that have been in D.C. for some time or involved in the game, it, they just reek of that political talking point and the same old stuff and, and issues that aren't as important to them. You know, you think about uh, millennials, the largest generation in our country, and you think about how few of the policies are geared toward them. I mean, very, very few. Most of it's geared toward boomers, which is fine, but... We better start bringing some of those those new policies into the conversation with millennials, so we can engage them in politics. And you know, we are a, a you know non political group. The foundation is so it's all about education and, and, and information and, and solutions. But I believe if we lead with that, we lead with those solutions and, and addressing things that millennials really care about. The politics will take care of itself. Say, oh, someone's speaking up for me. I better vote and, and vote for him or her and whatever party they might be. Report. And so that's how I'm approaching it. And really getting involved in the political process, you find it open, open to that? Yeah. Yes. Um, is this strictly a Democratic caucus and a Democratic organization? So the caucus in the House is 26 Democratic members. The yeah. foundation is nonpartisan, nonpolitical. Are entity. there any Republican millennials or are there Republican <laughs> Are there Republican millennials <laughs> there's, there's at all? There's one in the country. Oh. Yeah, I read about him once. <laughs> <laughs> but why aren't there any, yeah. I mean, any Republican members, millennial members of Congress? And if so, why aren't they part of the caucus? So that's the caucus and that's, uh, okay. I can't speak to that. Uh, on the foundation, but it's strange. I mean, what do they have against millennials? They're, I mean, if they exist, right? I have some Republican friends, as I'm sure you do, and, and you do that are millennials and want to be engaged. Yeah, and, no, and I'm going to reach out to to everybody: Republican, Democrat, Independent. People don't even know the difference between the two, uh, and talk about what's really on their mind because there is a lot of that as well, where right. uh, certain stereotypes are, are, are ringing in, in people's head and. and uh, quite frankly, I think that is something holding back the Democratic Party right now. And not to make this, you know, partisan, but to the extent we can show some new faces, some new blood, some new energy, I think we can really grow the party mm. uh, on, on putting aside this foundation for a second, yeah. really grow the party and show new interest uh, with some Absolutely. folks out there that are totally disenchanted by what they're seeing in the White House right now. I have to yeah. ask you on that point, um, <clears throat> do you feel like Democrats have figured out their message uh, in the aftermath of the election, it's clear much of the message at the moment is a referendum on Trump. Mm -hmm. But is that enough? Do you you're looking if you look ahead at 2018, do you feel like the Democratic Party has coalesced around a clear message to sell themselves to voters at the ballot no. box? No, I don't. And I don't think we had a, a clear enough message going into the last presidential election. I thought Hillary was was uh, as qualified as a candidate we've ever had run for the office. And as a candidate myself for the Senate, you know, was saying this Trump message of, you know, make America great again. It's, it's come on. I mean, yeah, of course, we all want to do that. But people are going to see. But, you know, gosh, a lot of my friends that don't follow politics like we around this table. That's what they said. And that's what they, that's what resonated and stuck in their brain. So you have to simplify it. and You got to drive it down to a core message that I believe still has to resonate and circle around the economy in, in some way. 
that's what we have to drive down to. And uh, I hope that this foundation will really help get that economic message out there of things that are really happening in the world with automation and artificial intelligence. And if I can just for a second, you know, I, I look around the world at what's happening. You know, some of these populist movements uh, and, and some of the people getting elected, these sort of strong man folks and Trump being one of them. And you think about what President Trump tapped into, starting off with build a wall, right? That, that fear mongering yeah. about immigration. And then it was terrorism and, and, and ISIS. Uh, then trade and China's the bad actor and they're stealing our jobs and hit all these little spots that Americans, you know, believe. But a big piece of it in my conversations with constituents in Florida was they feel the American dream is disappearing and they're almost looking for somebody to blame and they point the finger here, here and here. But a lot of it does come down to the economy and they say, wait, I'm paying my taxes. I'm paying my mortgage. I put my kid in school and they don't have a job. They're living at home. I have them, my house is upside down, my mortgage. I'm doing what's right. What in the heck is going on? So a lot of this does come down to the economic message and no one's speaking to them. So uh, we, I think, underestimate the intellect of a lot of Americans and what's changing out there in the world. We have to tap into that. And you want to be part of this and you want to find out more about it. Again, it is futureforumfoundation.org. Patrick Murphy, former congressman, the chairman. Um, 30 seconds left. Is Florida forever a red state? No, it's Are not. Are giving up on Florida? No, I'm sure, sure not giving up on Florida. Are you going to run for office again? Oh, I don't know. Look, I miss public <laughs> service. Uh, I don't miss the House, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the nonsense up here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I would like to stay engaged. This is my this is my favorite part, the, the issues. I, mm-hmm. I like the problem-solving component, some of the nonsense, the the fundraising and the you know all the yeah. stuff we all know about uh, is very frustrating to me. So this gives me an opportunity to focus on the issues. Yeah. Well, this is a good place to be, good good issues to work on, good constituency to be working with, you yes. know. And if you can awaken these, not awake, they're already awake, but I mean, if you can inspire and direct and funnel the energy of these millennials in the right direction on these issues and on the political process, then uh, that'll be great, great for this country. So, Hoping to uh, do it. So, yeah, we're counting on you. Yeah, all right, great. <laughs> Lots of luck. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me this morning. Sabrina, thanks for coming back anytime. I love having you. Uh, the rest of the day, it is all yours, folks. Make the most of it. Have a great one and come back this and see us again tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show.